Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. Colossians 1, 11 through 20. May you be made strong with all of the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He is himself before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that the things that I'm about to share, you do just as much as I do. I I mean, I'm just going out on a limb. You're driving through town on a four-lane road, and you come to a red light. At least this is what I do. And instinctively, automatically, without having to think about it, my mind, within a nanosecond, calculates the number of cars in the two lanes in front of me stopped at the light. And without my brain having to tell anything else of my body what to do, the car automatically steers itself to the lane with the fewest numbers of cars in it so that I can get through the light as quickly as possible. The only exception to that is if there is a truck or some other large vehicle, then the rule in my mind, two or three cars might equal as fast as I can get through behind that one truck. I know you do this. There's some honesty over here. An amen corner right here. All right, so I'm in the grocery line, head to the checkout, got all the stuff, gone through the list, right? You're ready to pay. And what do you do? Instinctively, and this is harder in the grocery lines because you have to peer around each line. You don't have as great a vision as you do when you're in the car. You have to interpret not only the number of people in each line, but also how many items that they have, right? And then you also have to calculate in the speed of the cashier, right? And, and, and then you make your choice as to which line you will get in. Now, I know none of you do this. I'm confessing here, none of you do this. But I will look at the express line to make sure that the people in front of me have fewer than 20 items. <laughs> and if they do not, in my mind, I become a very judgmental and impatient person. Now let's think about this. In the great scheme of things, the three seconds you might gain by choosing the right line at the red light is not that big of a deal. And the five minute, perhaps at most, that we might lose if we choose the wrong line at the grocery store is not going to ruin your day. And yet, how many of us, I'm getting way too personal here, how many of us criticize ourselves when we make the wrong choice? 
I should have gotten in that line. You too, huh? Why do we do that? Seems to me there is a baseline in our society, there is a foundational level of impatience. We live in an impatient world. And it affects every one of us. And sometimes it affects us in small things, like which line we choose, anxiety over the choice of line at the checkout at the grocery store. But on a much deeper level, there is an impatience that impacts us negatively when we deal with the challenges and the disappointments and the setbacks and the sufferings of our lives. And so Paul prays for the Colossians and the Holy Spirit prays for us. May you be made strong by all the strength that comes from His glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Notice that Paul does not pray here, may God free you from every trial. May God protect you from every struggle. He does not pray. May God give you a life unbothered by challenges. Wouldn't be wrong for Paul to pray this. The scriptures are filled with prayers, particularly the Psalms, of people crying out to God, praying for deliverance, praying for healing, and praying for it in an immediate way. It is not wrong for us to pray these prayers. It is biblical. Yet we pray the prayers of the Psalms, also remembering Paul's prayer in Colossians and in other places. We pray for that sense of immediate deliverance, but also we recognize and realize that God, usually at least in our experience, doesn't respond on the timetable that we would like God to respond on. And so we pray that in the midst of the struggle or the midst of the trial, that God would give us strength, that God would give us patience, that God would prepare us to endure and to live faithfully amid whatever it is that we are facing. Philip Yancey is a wonderful Christian journalist and author, and he makes this observation. On my travels overseas, I have noticed a striking difference in the wording of prayers. Christians in affluent countries tend to pray, Lord, take this trial away from us. And then he writes, I have heard prisoners, persecuted Christians, and some who live in very poor countries pray instead, Lord, give us the strength to bear this trial. Where do you fall along that line? Praying more, Lord, take this trial away. It's not wrong to pray that prayer. Or praying, Lord, give us the strength to bear this trial, to face this challenge, to live faithfully amid what we are facing. I'll confess, I'm much quicker to pray, Lord, take this away. I don't want to deal with it. I don't have time. And, and when I do that, 
I think there's a hidden tendency, we're able to deceive ourselves in thinking that, if it's not going to be taken away, then I'm going to defeat this challenge, this problem, I'm going to figure this out, I'm going to conquer this, I'm going to endure, I'm going to make it happen in my own strength, in my own thinking and wisdom and practices. And in the midst of praying, God, take the trial away from me, instead of God, give me the strength to bear this trial, I am finding myself, trusting in myself, instead of growing in my trust and dependence upon God. Maybe you've been there with me in similar situations. So how do we move towards praying and living this prayer of verse 11? Asking God to give us strength, asking God to give us patient endurance so that we can live faithfully in the midst of the joys and the sorrows, the good and the bad. How do we move towards a dependency upon the strength of God in the midst of a world that calls us to focus on our own strength? Well, I think verses 15 through 20 give us a very good window, a very good avenue to approach this uh, this life change of seeking to live by God's strength. Verses 15 through 20, many scholars say, is most likely a hymn that the early church sang in worship. And Paul is here quoting this hymn, much like we would quote Amazing Amazing Grace in something that we were saying or that a sermon someone was preaching. And the hymn is all about who Jesus is. It is all about making Jesus first. Jesus is above all things. Jesus is at the center of everything. Through Jesus, God created everything that is. Uh, In Jesus, everything holds together. Through Jesus and his life, his death, and his resurrection, God has reconciled uh, all things unto himself, verse 20 says. Over and over and over, this hymn celebrates Jesus and places Jesus in first place, firstborn from the dead, the first to be resurrected among many brothers and sisters, as all who call on him will one day join him in his resurrection. The one who, after his life, death, and resurrection, was ascended to the Father in heaven, from which he rules and he reigns. Today is reign of Christ Sunday, Christ the King Sunday, on the church calendar. Every year, the Sunday before Advent begins, the church sets aside a time to remember and reflect upon the truth that God rules the world and we do not. That Jesus reigns over all things, and our lives find their meaning and their purpose and their sustenance in the reign of Jesus. And it seems to me that when we focus on Christ the King, Christ who reigns from heaven over all things, even though it doesn't feel like it or seem like it now, when we're, when we're able to keep our eyes on the reign of Christ, then we're on our way to trusting more in the strength and the patient endurance that He gives instead of trusting in our own strength. Let's look at one verse in particular to help us reflect upon this. Verse 17 says, the second half of 17 says, in, all, in him all things hold together. There's nothing that's not included in that word all. Jesus holds creation together. Jesus holds the life of the nations together. Jesus holds the life and the work of the church together. Jesus holds our church together. Jesus holds your family together. Jesus holds our families together. In him, all things hold together. Think of the person of whom it is said, 
she holds that family together. Or she is the person who keeps that organization strong. Or that team would fall apart if he were not there. Maybe it's a coach or a caregiver, a parent or a principal, a pastor or a parishioner. In the institutions of which we are a part, we know what it is to have a person who through their sense of leadership and their integrity and their character and the respect that we have for them, to have a person who in a sense holds that institution, that organization together. And when that person is no longer with us, oftentimes in that organization, whether an institution, whether it's a family or a church or a business, whatever it is, when that person around whom everything has been organized, the person who holds things together, when that person is no longer there, we find we don't know what to do. And it takes us a while to, to find our balance again and to, and to move forward. Well, multiply that in an infinite way in terms of people who hold things together think of Jesus holding all things together and Jesus always being present never going away we never have to recover from the loss of the one who holds things together because he who holds things together lives eternally with the father in heaven and sends the spirit to be with us and to be present with us and to hold even our lives together. And one day, he will return to fully establish his reign over all things. Seems to me that when we think of the reign of Christ over all things, when we remember that Jesus holds all things together, it puts our challenges and our struggles in perspective. It reminds us to view our life stories through the lens of Jesus' story and of what he's trying to accomplish in the world which then helps us to rely on the strength and patient endurance that Jesus gives so that we can live faithful lives. It even enables us to joyfully give thanks amid the trial or the challenge as the beginning of verse 12 calls us to do. Ultimately, to see our lives and to see the life of this world through the lens of the reign of Christ is to always look at Jesus first. It is to see that He is the life, the resurrection, as you have so beautifully sung. And it is to organize our lives around the truth that Jesus holds things together and we do not, don't raise your hand, but how many of us think that it's up to us to hold things together for our families, for our businesses, for our church, for our community? And the irony is, when we realize that Jesus holds everything together, we become far more effective and far more faithful in doing our part in the life of the community, the life of the family, because we begin to rely on the strength of Jesus and not our own. When we come to see Christ first, when we come to see our challenges and our opportunities through the lens of Christ's love for us and His purposes in the world, then, then, we are able to live and to mean it when we pray with Paul in verse 11. 
may you, may we, be made strong through the strength that comes only through his glorious power. May you and may we be prepared to endure everything with patience because something's going to happen that requires that patience. And having been equipped with the patience that only comes from Christ who reigns on high, may we then joyfully give thanks to the Father in all things. Let us pray. For those of us who desperately need your patience, O oh Lord, whether it's in how we'll drive home from church today or how we will face a very difficult challenge, we pray that you would prepare us to patiently endure all that is before us. And we pray, O oh God, for your help in keeping Jesus first and foremost in our minds, recognizing that he reigns at your side over all things and that he holds all things together. Some of us today, Lord, feel like things are falling apart. And so I pray that for each of us in that place, that you would fill us with an awareness and a trust in the truth that Jesus indeed holds everything together. And for all of us and as a church, Lord, as we trust in the truth that in Christ all things hold together, may we then rely upon his strength that comes to us through the Holy Spirit and his patience instead of our own, that we may be the people that you call us to be and that we may do what you call us to do. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.